Well, in preparation for the Reformation celebration, the end of this month, we've been looking at what uh, holidays are and what the Reformation is, and uh, we've talked about uh, most recently the five solas, when we talk about sola scriptura, sola gratia, sola fide, sola Christus, soli Deo gloria. In the midst of all this is the role of faith. Faith alone. And we looked at the fact that the faith that is spoken of there is a faith that manifests itself in good works. It's not just an intellectual belief. It is an obedient faith. The appeal that's made in the New Testament both to the fact that it is by faith that we receive God's grace and to the fact, and Paul makes that argument very clearly, but then James comes back and says, yeah, but it's, it's a faith that is displayed in works. And that's not a contradiction, it's a clarification. It's a needed clarification. Both of them appeal to the life of one man and that is Abraham. So we're going to go back into Genesis and pick up the study that we were doing before this month began our study of the Reformation. Okay? You've now had an intro. You're going to be doing research and reports and so forth, and we'll all be celebrating together at the end of the month. We're going to go back now and start back in Genesis, where we were in chapter 11, And we're going to read into the first part of chapter 12. Genesis chapter 11, beginning in verse 10. This is the account of Shem. Two years after the flood, when Shem was 100 years old, he became the father of Arphaxed. After he became the father of Arphaxed, Shem lived 500 years and had other sons and daughters. When Arphaxad had lived 35 years, he became the father of Shelah. And after he became the father of Shelah, Arphaxad lived uh, 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Shelah had lived 30 years, he became the father of Eber. And after he became the father of Eber, Shelah lived 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Eber had lived 34 years, he became the father of Peleg. And after he became the father of Peleg... Eber lived 430 years and had other sons and daughters. When Peleg had lived 30 years, he became the father of Ru, and after he became the father of Ru, Peleg lived 209 years and had other sons and daughters. When Ru had lived 32 years, he became the father of Sarag, and after he became the father of Sarag, Ru lived 207 years and had other sons and daughters. When Sarag had lived 30 years, he became the father of Nahor, and after he became the father of Nahor, Sarag lived 200 years and had other sons and daughters. When Nahor had lived 29 years, he became the father of Terah. And after he became the father of Terah, Nahor lived, 400, uh, lived 119 years and had other sons and daughters. After Terah had lived 70 years, he became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. This is the account of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans. In the land of his birth, Abram and Nahor both married. 
The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now, Sarai was barren. She had no children. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree in Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were living in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Now we've made reference to the fact that on the one hand, um, Paul makes it very clear we are justified before God on the basis of the grace that we receive through faith. We read last time from Ephesians 2 which talks about the fact that it is not a result of works, lest anyone should boast. We have no basis to come before God and say, look, I did this, and I did this, I did this. Does that make us okay? Does that clear the accounts? Because no one can, by good works, make up for our sin against God. Over and over, I use the illustration of vomiting into the soup. You can't fix it by adding other ingredients. We've just trashed the thing. And that's what we've all done with our lives. We can't blame somebody else. Well, aren't some of my problems other people's fault? Oh, yeah, definitely. But some of your problems are your fault. And you know that if you're honest with yourself. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So, we can't fix it with good works. It is by grace which we receive by faith. Repent and believe the good news. But some people, because Satan is a judo expert, he will take whatever you get right and try and push you off course by going further in the 
direction you are headed. Some people are tempted to think that all I have to do is believe this, okay? Just believe this. And, and I'm saved. Okay, I can do that. Yeah, you said this, this, this. I, I believe that. That's not the kind of faith that this is talking about. It is a trust in and reliance upon God that results in obedience. So the book of James comes back and really pushes this home. says, faith without works is dead. Okay? As a pastor, I've, as a pastor's son who grew up and became a pastor, I've been to a lot of funerals. Okay? A whole lot of funerals. And one of the things you hear at a lot of funerals is, he looks as if he's just sleeping. Okay? Well, he's not. As a matter of fact, he doesn't have any blood left in his body. It's all been drained out and replaced with formaldehyde. Okay? He's not just sleeping. He is dead. Understand? Oh, but it, I mean, it, looks, it looks really lovely. Yeah, I've seen some people who looked really good. The undertaker did a really good job, made a dead person look alive still. They looked better than the last time I saw them before they died. And that's the truth, okay? But unlike some of the people who come up to view the body, I don't talk to the person, okay? They're not there. That's, that's a dead body. When the undertaker came after my father died, I introduced myself and I introduced the hospice nurse and I introduced my sister who was there in the room and I said, and that used to be my dad's body. Because dad wasn't there anymore. He had left. This body referred to in scripture as being like a tent and the tent wears out and when you're not there anymore you're not there well faith without works is like a dead body no matter how good it looks no matter how many doctrinal items you can check on a page Faith without works is dead. And Abraham is our example in the New Testament of what faith is supposed to look like. Now this brings up another matter. There are a lot of folks who think that having to learn the Old Testament is just, oh goodness, that, I mean, I'm sorry. There's just a whole lot of stuff in there that I find boring. There's a lot of stuff in there that I find confusing. All these weird names. Milka. I mean, what kind of name is that for a woman? Well, one of the first cattle that I bought for the ranch. I named Milka. <laughs> Think about it. Milka cow? Got it? Uh, actually, Milka, uh, we will later find out in the book of Genesis, had two sons, Uz and Buzz. 
I, I would never have guessed that an Old Testament character would be named Buzz. And this isn't Buzz Lightyear, this is Buzz the Bible story. Okay? Can you imagine? I thought it was like a 1950s nickname. Because that was a 1950s nickname. Okay? It was also a haircut. Uh, Buzz, right? There it is. Now we know where it came from. Actually, no. But... Why do we need to learn all this ancient history? Because this is not just a story, it is the story that shapes our understanding of the gospel. You've got this person having this child and other sons and daughters. This person has this child and other sons and daughters. This person has this child and other sons and daughters. What about those other sons and daughters? They don't count. You're saying their life doesn't matter? No, I'm saying they're not central to the story. What we are getting here is how we get from Shem to Abram. And the reason that's important is not just because Abram turns out to be a pivotal character, but ultimately because we're going to go from Abram further on down through Isaac, Jacob, Judah, eventually to someone named Yeshua. Jesus is the reason why God says to Abram, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. One day, gathered around the throne of God, there will be representatives of every tribe, every dialect, every people group. All the peoples of the earth are going to be blessed through Abram because it is through him that God will send the one he promised way back at the garden when he said to Eve, your seed will crush the serpent's head. You see, Jesus, the virgin-born Lamb of God, is the only one who could take away our guilt and reconcile us to the Father. And if you get the idea that God is angrily standing there and his sweet son is saying, Father, wait, I'll go take care of this. And Well, then you haven't read the book. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus came in obedience to his loving father. He prays in the garden, Father, if there's any other way, please let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. All these distortions, all these lies that keep cropping up over and over and over and over, generation after generation, they're not new. They are ancient distortions of the fact, and the way you find out that they are distortions and lies is by studying this book.
And as you read it and believe it and obey it, putting it into practice, you find again and again that question that person is struggling with that seems so huge is actually answered in Scripture. That, that, that thing that I thought I saw that probably nobody else has ever thought of this, well, <laughs> only thousands, tens of thousands of people. It's been addressed. It's been addressed by church councils. It's been whole books written about it, you know, but, but glad, glad, you, glad you were studying, came across that. Don't be embarrassed for having learned something. Folks, let me tell you, we study these stories because not only are they true, but they are the truth that points us to the one who was able to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, what do we see here in this passage? Well, Bunch of people with funny names who lived a long time. Yeah, I'll give you that. Um, I mean, it's not like all the names are hilarious, but they're generally unfamiliar to us. It's a, a different culture. And if these people had heard our names, they'd say, what? Your mama called you what? But... If you're troubled by the fact that they lived a long time, then you just haven't learned to accept the fact that things used to be different. A lot of things used to be different. I had the joy of taking two of our students over to Nashville where I was preaching on, uh, yesterday. And on the way back, one of them was asleep and the other, <laughs> and the, the other one was amazed to discover that I had actually lived in a time when there were no seatbelts in automobiles. It's true. I mean, most of you, well, you probably there's a variety in this room. Some of you probably thought I lived in a time where there were no automobiles. But, <laughs> but, uh, but when I was growing up, uh, cars didn't have, autom uh, didn't have seat belts, okay? They didn't have seat belts. It was just, you know, and my brother, we had a 1963 Chevy, brand new, and my brother, who was a student at Harvard Medical School at the time, told us for Christmas he was sending seat belts and he was going to pay to have them put in, in our car, which he did. We thought that was the craziest thing in the world. Why seat belts? What, what, what for? Because my parents had certainly grown up without seat belts. They also lived in the time of cars. But, um, I mean, seatbelts, you didn't, kids ran around in the car. I mean, you're driving down the road, and Johnny's running back and forth on the back seat. And it was no problem. We weren't worried about this. Little children would climb up on the, ledge behind the top of the back seat underneath the back window and nap there as mama drove. Nobody's worried. Okay? I heard a comedian say that the equivalent of the seat belt in his car when he was a kid was his mom's right arm. Okay? 
something bad is happening, she goes like this, holds you back. If you happen to have to stop quickly and somebody comes over the top of the front seat, you toss them back. Keep <laughs> going. It just, I mean, it was, it was a different time. People rode bicycles without helmets. Can you imagine? And um, I'm telling you, those seatbelts just seemed nuts to us. Because why in the world would you want to be belted in? That doesn't seem comfortable. My brother insisted they save lives. Soon, all cars will be required to have them. That's what my brother said. We thought that was just insane. He only sent two. There was one for mom and one for dad. Go figure. I, I rode in the car too, but my life was expendable. As long as mom and, long as mom and dad live, you know, that's what counts. Kids, I mean, the, there was no thought of putting them in the back seat. You just have a bench seat in the front. I could ride in between the two people with seatbelts. Yeah. So, why are you telling us that, Pastor? Because when you read about these ages, that's the way it was at one time. That's the way it used to be. Conditions were different on the earth. Our genetic makeup was different. And God had not yet continued to shorten the lifespan as he said he would and did. By the time King David comes along, lifespan is a lot shorter. But early on, people lived hundreds of years. If you can't accept that, you probably would have trouble. I, this is another thing I told the guys yesterday. We, we had to stop and get gas. I was very pleased that I was able to get gas for just $4 a gallon. And I, I told T when I got back in the car, I said, you know, I, I'm really grateful that we stopped here because that was cheaper than the other place we stopped on the way. But I remember my first paying job uh, was at a little convenience store in Montreat. And uh, in addition to working the cash register inside the store, we had gas pumps outside. And if somebody needed gas, it was my job to go pump the gas. And uh, there was this guy, I've always liked cars, there was this guy who had the most beautiful Cadillac I'd ever seen. I'd seen a lot of Cadillacs, but this particular Cadillac was just très magnifique. And I, I just, I thought that was the coolest car. But I said, I'd love to have a car like that, except for the fact I would never want a car that requires premium gas. His car required, it wasn't just recommended, it required premium gas, which is why I was paying $4 a gallon, because my car requires premium gas, but that's another story. I said, I would never own a car that requires premium gas. Imagine, this guy has to pay over 40 cents a gallon. Okay, it was like 41.9 cents a gallon for premium gas. I thought, that is just insane. Who would be crazy enough to squander their riches paying 40 cents a gallon? That's just nuts. I'm never going to have a car like that. Because even if I could afford the car, I would not want to spend that money on gas. Your pastor would, is it true? 
Was there a time when you could buy premium gas in America for 40 cents a gallon? Yes, there really was. I just find that hard to believe. Well, sorry, it's the way it was. So you read about the ages. They lived a long time. Believe it. It's just, it's a fact. Well, I, you know, I, this was given to us by God through people who knew that that was the case. It's not like the other people back then read this and they were like, oh, nobody lives that long. They were like, yeah, yeah, I remember my great-great-grandfather lived that long. Okay. These stories were handed down and when they were written, the people recognized they weren't like, oh, they lived how long? No, they knew that's the way it used to be. And the reason is because that's the way it used to be. All right? So, you got people with funny names living a long time, having lots of kids. But that's not the focus. Look at the beginning of chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. Abram was in a major city. It was a, a great place to be, seemingly. But God had another plan for his life. And God said, you are not to find your identity in this place that you're from. You are not to find your identity in who your relatives are. I have a plan for you, and I'm going to do great things with your life, and I'm calling you to leave the familiar and go to the unknown. I'm calling you to leave the comfortable and walk in obedience to me. And so what we see in the New Testament is reference to the fact that Abram went not knowing where he was going. I've known some wonderful Christians who have had to make that difficult decision as well. Didn't know what it was going to be like. Didn't know where they were going to end up. Didn't know how it was all going to work out. They just knew what God had told them to do. There's a sense in which we did that when we came here. We had never heard of Ware's Valley until we were contacted about this property. I'd been praying for over 20 years that God would give us a place where we could have a children's home. And God had impressed on my heart when I was a teenager that when it was time, he would give us the land. On more than one occasion, my wife had asked me, don't you think maybe you ought to resign the pastorate and try and just raise money to buy some land? We had stopped and looked at countless pieces of lands. We'd be driving along, we'd see some farm for sale, and we'd pull off and go in there and look, and, you know, oh boy, that'd be great. Can you see how we could do this? And all kinds of ideas. But God had told me, I'm going to give you the land, and then you'll know it's the time and the place. Let me tell you something. God keeps his promises. He always does what he says. And so, I am very grateful that when we came here to a piece of raw land, 
God did the heavy lifting. <laughs> he did the hard work. He not only gave us this property, but he provided the resources to begin the development, building the first home, building the other things, bringing in the right staff. God goes before you when he's leading you. He prepares the way for you. He keeps his promises. Abraham is our example of that kind of man. So, look at verse 4. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Were there any delays along the way? Yeah, when he left at first, the first time, his dad went with him. One of his brothers had died, so obviously he didn't go. But they're on their way, and dad says, we're stopping here. I can relate to that. We've gone far enough. And they settled for a time in Haran. That was not the destination. That was not where God was leading Abram. But it was as far as they got in the first part of their journey. And I've seen people do that as well. They set out to follow God, and then after a while they say, okay, well, we've, we've done enough of that. Let's settle down now. Let's get comfortable here. But when his father died, God reminded him of what he'd already told him, and that is, I want you to go to a place I'm going to show you. This isn't it. And so Abram left as the Lord had told him. It's not just about the journey. It's not just about leaving. It's not just about going to a new place, trying new things. It's about obedience. It's about obedience. John chapter 3, take a look in closing. Because if you want to understand what faith is, and there are a lot of places we could see it, but John chapter 3 is absolutely crucial. Is it 316? No. John 336. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever, this translation says, rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. That word rejects. You want to know how that's best translated? And how most of the translations into English throughout history have gotten it right for the NIV, smudges it, does not obey. Does not obey. Does not obey. There are two alternatives. You can believe in the Son and have eternal life, or you cannot obey the Son and not have life, but instead remain under the wrath of God. You see, if you believe, you obey. If you say you believe, but you don't obey, 
You don't believe. You don't believe. Where is your confidence? Where is your trust? Not in your obedience, but in Him. And if you trust in Him, you will obey. Why would I obey? Because I trust Him. I have certainly not walked in perfect obedience across the years. God has been kind to me, and I have sought to be obedient. But I'll tell you this. If God was looking at my history, my track record, which most people would look at and say, well, he's lived a really wonderful life. He's done good things. It's wonderful. If God knows all the details. And I've thrown up in the soup. You understand? So if God was looking and saying, okay, well, if you've never sinned, I'll let you into heaven. I'd go straight to hell. But God doesn't say that. He offered his son as the perfect sacrifice to pay the penalty for my sin and for yours if you are trusting in Jesus. But we're not saved by our obedience. We're saved by Jesus, his obedience. We receive that by faith. And you can tell when a person has received it because they live a life of obedience. I hope you understand that because I want you to trust him. Because if you trust him, you'll obey him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word, for the example of Abram who became Abraham. Thank you that you are faithful and that you chose to miraculously give them laughter. Lord, help us as we study these lives to continue to look to Jesus who is life itself, life everlasting. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.